Hello and welcome back to Four Score and Seven Podcasters. It's been several months since we've met. Uh, last time on our podcast, we discussed the White House. My portion, this is Mr. DeCosmo talking, was the White House burning. Um, we each gave a story about the White House at the time. If you recall correctly, Ms. Turner had a little section called Fact, and Fic- uh, Fact or Fiction, where she gave us some stories and we guessed whether or not they were fact or fiction. So the topic of today's podcast is fact or fiction. The format that we'll be utilizing is that each teacher will give you a little bit of historical background on a topic, then we'll tell you a story. Your job as the students is to then listen to all the stories that the teacher tells, and we'll have a little bit of a research assignment where you can go online or use your other resources, so on and so forth, to try to determine which one of our stories is a lie and which ones are true. Mr. DeCosmo, this sounds awesome. I think we should point out, hey, this is Mr. Kellett, everyone. We should point out that we're not breaking any social distancing rules right now. How are we talking to one another, everybody? We're on Zoom. We are on Zoom. That's the way we're communicating. We've got... I'm following the recommendations. Yes, we are. So, uh, Mr. Kellett, and we've got Ms. Turner, Ms. Honey, Ms. Braun, Ms. Moulton, Mr. McKay. Really excited. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for getting us started, Mr. DeCosmo. How's everyone else doing today? Good. A little gloomy out, but, you know, started the fire. Now it's toasty in here. Kim, we started one, too. It was so good. So that's- real, it's real good to have a conversation with all everybody's picture on the screen, no gray boxes, no muting. It's really it's been, it's been Yes, I love when you go into a Zoom room, Mr. McKay, and you could see everyone's face. It's yeah. so it's it's Listen to all the people talking. All right. Wow. How about that? <laughs> um, hey, so... Um, we got fact or fiction, okay? And most of what you're going to hear is fact, a little bit fiction. And I think we've got a list of who's going first and the second and so on and so forth. And according to my list, Mr. DeCosmo, Mr. DeCosmo, you're up first with your historical fact or fiction. Take it away. All right. So I'm very excited about this. Uh, my colleagues, please wrangle me in if I'm going on too long. I'll try to keep it, you know, a couple minutes long, but I got a ton to say, so I'm going to try to do my best. Uh, Those that know me know that I have a big interest in um, MMA, boxing, and the grappling arts. Okay, so throughout history... I have a question already. What's that? What is a grappling art? Grappling art is something where it's it's not punching or kicking or hitting. It's like wrestling and tangling. So it looks like there's, you know, uh, really close. You're not hitting each other, but it's like wrestling or sambo or jujitsu. So all the things she tells her sons not to do inside the house. They could be telling me that they're, that they're, that they're making art. Is that what you're telling me? If you slap an eclectic name on it, it quickly goes from roughhousing to martial arts. Got it. We got it. (laughs) Like we're not beating each other up. We're practicing martial arts. So you can put a nice twist on it. Thank you for that clarification. You got it. Just jump in and uh, let me know when I'm not making sense. Uh, So throughout all of history, you know, wrestling in particular was used in warfare and it was super important to to have skilled wrestlers in your military. And it was also championed as one of the very first uh, sports. So there's a style of wrestling called Greco-Roman that was practiced in Greece in antiquity. And that eventually led up to something called pancrase, which is basically no holds barred fighting where the person who loses just taps out. You signify you lost by tapping out. And one of the, the craziest things I knew about Pancras is the very first 10, 15, 20 minutes, even up to an hour, were, were been, uh, spent going after one particular part of the body. And the goal in Pancras, first and foremost, was to break all of your opponent's fingers. So because 
they have non-functioning hands, they cannot fight, they can't grapple as well. So there's, wrestling has a very long and storied history in terms of entertainment for people and usefulness in hand-to-hand combat. And for most of human history, people were fighting hand-to-hand. So it's very useful. Um, we've had a bunch of presidents who are skilled grapplers. As far as I can tell through my research, there were two in particular that I can think of, and one was George Washington. He utilized a style called um, collar and elbow, which to me seems like a Greco-Roman style. And we also had Teddy Roosevelt, who was sick a long time when he was a kid, and he grew up in, to be like a rough-and-tumble type guy, and he practiced wrestling and boxing. So those two guys were super tough. Uh, the third guy I can talk about is Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was an, like an unbelievable state championship, almost like world-class wrestler. And this is for a couple of reasons. Number one, Abraham Lincoln for his, his uh, time frame was huge. He's six foot four. The ranges uh, for weights go from like 180 to 190. And what he is is like farm-raised strength. So there's this type of functional strength, like you can be in the gym and lifting so on and so forth. And there's also strength built through uh, repeated physical activity. Like if you ever grapple with someone who's done gymnastics and in particular the rings, they have like machine-like strength. So that's the way I picture it being with Lincoln. And he's very tall and very wiry. One of the so stories- the, So I, you're saying our greatest president was amongst the greatest presidents because he was a great grappler. I think that I hear that he's our greatest president. He's at the top of all the lists. And it's my opinion that he's the best fighter that we've ever had for a president wow. based on his grappling, his wrestling prowess. Was he involved in any, in any grappling while he was president against any other political figures? No, he was a little bit old for the time. But uh, when Lincoln, when they had won the Civil War, there was a big conspiracy to kidnap Lincoln. And I think there were four conspirators and they're like, yeah, we're going to kidnap, we're going to kidnap Lincoln. Like this will show him. And then one of the guys was like, Hey, what if he just toasts all four of us? And so they decided <laughs> that they shouldn't kidnap Lincoln. Like people knew about his skill level. Wow. Crazy. That's interesting. I'm not sure I knew that. And maybe it's because it's not true, but maybe Mr. DeCosmo just knows more things than I do. I'm not sure. I'll huh. tell you. He does know a lot about the martial arts he and knows his stuff. That to Cosmo. I have a fun quote for you too. Uh, well, two two last things. I'm sorry to take up so much time. Number one, in the South at the time, there's this backwoods fighting style called rough and tumble, and it is rough and tumble. Uh, there's two goals that you can win the fight. I'll have you look up one of them, and I'll tell you the other one. And it's by gouging out your opponent's eye. So if someone wants to fight you rough and tumble, they're gonna try to blind you. Okay. And this is the type of fighting style. People used to like have challenge matches in towns and so on and so forth. And Lincoln one time, um, it would be like if whoever goes gets thrown to the ground loses. So Lincoln gave one person a real quick hip toss and the, the crowds would bet on it. And the crowd would get really upset like, oh, this is a fix. So and so off, we want our money back. So, you know, nobody can do that so easily. And Lincoln like challenged the whole crowd. And he said, I'm the big buck of this lick. And if any of you want to try it, come on and wet your horns. So Abe Lincoln was a fantastic wrestler um, in his younger days. And that mental toughness, I think, carried into his presidential career. Huh, wow. wow. All right. That's a lot of stuff. That's a I lot of information. I have wow. a question, Mr. Cosmo. What's that? 
I have a question about the sure. previous presidents that you said were great grapplers. Yep. Who do they practice against? We talk in vice presidents. We talk in we talk in senators. Did they did they hire people as part of their cabinet that they just did work? No. With? So yeah. this is uh if if you know about you know we'll just say it's wrestling. This is a sport that people just don't do in their, like after their thirties. It's a young man's game. So I think that these guys were practicing uh, when they were like younger men. And of course, you know, to bring up Washington, for example, not only is, is wrestling functional in terms of keeping you strong and healthy, but, you know, this is the days of like hand-to-hand bayonet fighting, where if you have some strong grappling skills, it's going to save your life on the battlefield. All right. So, young man's right. game it is. Well, thanks, Mr. DeCosmo. You really got us off to a uh, wrestling start. Appreciate it. <laughs> I think next up is uh, Miss Braun with fact or fiction number two. What do we got? Yeah. I mean, I don't have information about the sporting prowess of these two particular presidents, but um, I know of a fun fact about two presidents who, uh, when they were alive, did not really like each other at all. And yet there is something that will forever unite them. So John Adams, our Um, second president, and Thomas Jefferson, our third president, they both passed away on the same day. And I know what you're thinking. That's crazy enough, but it gets even more crazy. No. That day was... I was thinking that. I I know. Get ready. It's going to blow your mind. That day was uh, July 4th. They (gasps) passed away on July 4th. Wait, there's more. And the year was 1826, which was the... 50th anniversary of our independence and they both died on that day do you think it was was a suicide pact well you know i don't think so since they didn't like each other (laughs) very much uh there were a lot of people who tried to explain this um there were some conspiracy theories that um euthanasia was indeed involved in particular um in terms of john adams who was 90 which was extremely old uh for the time uh, this was evidence that God was watching over us as a nation. Uh, the fact that he took two beloved uh, statesmen on the same day, that was also the anniversary of our creation, essentially. Um, and still others believe that uh, Jefferson and Adams orchestrated it, um, wanted to outdo each other almost and continue that feud and ended up by messing around with different medications succumbing on the same day. But nevertheless, both of them died on July 4th, 1826. And five years later, James Monroe died on July 4th. So apparently, well, this is a badge of honor. You gotta be. I She's know. lying to us. She's Watch lying. Watch out for July 4th, folks. Is it Bad possible fish? they all had like accidents with fireworks? I, I, I don't think it's fireworks. No. Mm. I'm, this is the prequel like to that Tom Cruise to- movie. <laughs> 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 Wasn't Tom Cruise in Born oh, on the Fourth of July? Born on the Fourth of July. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a Tom Cruise movie. This is this is died on the Fourth of July, but um, yeah, that's my oh. story, and I'm sticking to it. I like it. I don't believe it. it. Yeah, fact or fiction? Oh, Mr. McKay has a question. I have a question. I, this is posed to the whole group. Which guy was more salty? Did the other one died on the day he died on? You think? Well, here's the thing: Don they didn't Adam. know. They didn't know, and it wasn't wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I was like, we didn't know, and Miss Braun immediately says John Adams. (laughs) (laughs) Just knowing John Adams' personality from his time in office. How could they have known? 
This I'm is this is a lot. They didn't, but like if they were dead and and they could see the rest of the world from the afterlife. None perhaps, of this could be true. Like so, <laughs> who would have gotten like the banner on the newspaper of you know who died? Ooh, like right. who got the oh, bigger? Print? Who got the most headlines? Too bad, and uh, Alexander Hamilton wasn't alive, so he could have written forty-five pages uh, papers on. <laughs> On, on why they died the same day. Mr. McKay, I think John Adams would be particularly salty was, about it. Because he was a salty guy. He was a salty guy. And Thomas Jefferson was like the big spoiler of his presidency. And now, once again, he like is a big spoiler on the day that he should be honored because of his passing. Like that Thomas Jefferson taking away the spotlight again. What a right. I think you're right, Mr. Oh. Brown. That's how I would, I would characterize it. I All like right. It. Well, we'll see. We'll have him research. Well, I like Miss Honey's question too about the paper because the, the the concept of it, you know, it's a time of the Jeffersonian Republicans being in charge and in, in the office. Would Adams been buried way back in the obituaries underneath everybody else? You know? <laughs> buried on page six. Headline, <laughs> and Adams is, is stuck under. Come on, you know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, I'll believe it when That's I research it. I guess. Uh, all right. Well, thanks, Miss Braun. Uh, sure. My list here says Miss Turner is up next. Well, I am happy to tell you a quick story. Um, I was thinking about when we were discussing fact or fiction, who, who, what kind of story should we talk about? So I came to mind a story that I have heard about Helen Keller. Now, I'm sure we all remember Helen Keller was a uh, brave and courageous girl who persevered through being deaf and through being blind. She had a nice teacher, Ann Sullivan, and she signed water to Ann Sullivan. And she is known throughout history as this kind of amazing success story as someone who, as an American who persevered through such hardship. And the thing that maybe some of us don't know, and you could decide whether because or it's not, a lie, because it's a lie, whether or not you think I'm lying, is that she was a radical socialist in her adult life. And this story of her true belief, like we don't know her beliefs when she was a child, no one cares. But this story of her true beliefs and her true passion has been buried because history wants to remember her as this great American story of of courage and perseverance. So we don't ever get told the story that she was an outspoken supporter of women's suffrage. She wrote a bunch of things and um, she wrote a bunch of documents about how uh, women should have the right to vote and that she was anti-war. Um, and this never comes up in history because it doesn't match our understanding of like what it means to be a true American. Why would any true American want the woman to have the right to vote? Listen, I mean- I don't know. <laughs> And the men go silent. <laughs> anything, anything men? No. Uh, so yeah, that, that is the story that I have. Radical socialist buried in history so that we don't have to I've hear about I've got a lot of questions. I feel like if, if we got to, you know, we shouldn't take Miss Turner's word for this one, I think. We should, you don't think so? Oh, so think, because it's a woman? Uh, that is Ooh. not what I said. <laughs> Holy smokes. That is not what I said. Right into that fly trap. Yikes. And I'm going to mute right now. Ah, mute. Jeez. <laughs> Oh no, gosh. everyone is on video and unmuted. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ms. Turner. We're going to have to see if that's true. I Students are going to have to look up a research. little more about Helen Keller yes. uh, to see if she has been mislabeled by Ms. Turner. Now, I've got my next on the list, I think, is Miss Honey. You're up, Miss Honey. Yes. So I'm going to touch upon another great American. So Paul Revere, um, who, you know, 
was a jack of all trades. We know him as an artist painting, you know, the Boston Massacre. More like um, a Paul of all trades, really. Paul of all a trades. Paul. There we go. Yes. Um, known as a silversmith, you know, dabbled in dentistry. He was known as a leader Did of the Did you just spy. skim over that he was a dentist? Yeah, yeah, he he dabbled in it. Yes, yes. All right. Yes. I'm going to um, check that. But better, you know, one of the things, you know, we know that he, you know, he had 16 children. Um, but probably one of his... <laughs> it's because he wasn't in a quarantine. I wonder he no, went no, for no, a no, midnight ride. <laughs> yeah, well, that midnight ride, right. And so that's the big thing, right? He's known... <laughs> He's known as this town crier for the revolution, right? He is to go across the river, get on a, a horse and ride out to Lexington and warn, right? The British are coming or the British are coming. And, you know, he, of course, is totally remembered um, in his wonderful, you know, the poem of, you know, Paul Revere's ride of, right? And I on the opposite shore will be ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex village and farm for the country folk to be up and to arm. And, you know, he's been given all this wonderful credit of, you know, rising and being this this forefather of our revolution and warning us all so that we could um protect ourselves against the british and if it was not for his you know wonderful cries of the british were coming the british are coming then we still might be under the yoke of um good old king george so he's a, a man of many talents um but, you know, sometimes people question, is he really all that? Was he really all that influential in what we did? I don't know. Hmm. I don't so, know. It's easier to believe now knowing he had so many children that he was looking for any excuse just to get out of the house. Like, I can Wait, feel, I think there's I a war starting thing. outside. I got to go. Is that <laughs> a war I hear? I got to get out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know. All right. All right. For a ride. I'll be church. back later. I got a little information about Paul Revere. Yeah, and did he ever what... really, you know, how successful was he on his ride to Lexington and Concord? Yeah. Well, I mean, he had that whole poem about him. Yeah. No one would like have written a poem about him. Long that. poem. Has anybody ever like... read the whole poem? It's really, it's pages. It's pages. Yep. Pages? Forget it. Oh. <laughs> right, I'm not reading. I don't have time for that. <laughs> Come on. Right, well, honey, we'll see what comes of uh, our research on that. I don't know. I mean, he certainly gets lots of credit for it. I'll tell he you gets that. so much credit. So why would history give him that much credit if he didn't do anything? One of the things that I've always found interesting about Paul Revere is that, of course, around New England, you know, Massachusetts in particular, Sam Adams' beer is very popular. I was thinking Sam about Adams this. Sam Adams is not even on the It's Paul Revere. And when someone pointed that out to me, like my mind blew. I was like, wow. <laughs> I was going to, I wasn't trying to bring that. that up or not. Cause that could have been the good factor fiction who is on the Sam Adams bottle. Mm. And it, he doesn't get credit for that. You nope. think he'd get some credit for being um, quite a looker and be on that Sam Adams bottle. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, we'll see what comes of our research. So thanks, Miss Honey. I don't know if um, I want my legacy to be my picture on a bottle of booze. Probably but it's, we still have it today in 2020. It's quite a legacy. Mm. Okay. Mr. McKay, yeah. I got you up next on the list. All right, so I'm, I'm flipping the switch here a little bit. Uh, we've been talking about some, some things in the past. I'm talking about some things that are current. Uh, bringing it back to the sports world here. Yeah. Uh, and I have right. to talk to you guys. I can tell you're lying already. There are no sports going <laughs> no on. No sports are going on now, McKay. Well, well, hold on a minute. Let me tell you the story. Here's what I got. So, uh, you know, there is a, there's, a, there's a major court 
in the United States of America. Let me ask the group before I even tell the story. What's the most major court in the United States of America? Are we talking about a basketball court or like Supreme a- court. court? Well, I, I was looking for the idea of the Supreme Court. Madison Square Garden. Court of Public Opinion. But I'm talking about the Supreme Court, located in Washington, D.C., and it is known as the highest federal court in the world, in the United States. Um, Honest, you know, a lot of great cases have gone through here. A lot of major things have changed because of it. But did you know, and this is where I'm going to start giving some facts for you. Did you know that the United States Supreme Court has a basketball court inside of it. And it has been host to not just some, but some, uh, a lot of major small tournaments amongst the Supreme Court and the members of the federal government. So let me give you some background behind it to kind of give you some I ideas. I don't see Ruth playing basketball. No, no. Listen, someone dunk. keep Ruth off that basketball court. <laughs> well, hold on. It wasn't just basketball. It was actually used for other things as well. So let me give you some background behind it. The court itself um, is 78 feet long and 37 feet wide. It's on the fifth floor of the Supreme Court. It's above the court, um, which is underneath it. So there's a rule that you are not allowed to use the court at all when the Supreme Court is in session. You so don't fall. use the court when court's in session. Oh, yeah. This is too bizarre. <laughs> so originally the court was created with with – uh, a floor and, and, and such that was made for a lot of other things, weightlifting, tennis, um, grappling. grappling. That's exactly I was thinking, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is from the grappling I like the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> but there, but in 2015, they made a re- res- uh, renovation to it. that put in a pristine hardwood floor that took out some of the, tennis and some of the other surface things that they used to do there as well and made it strictly for basketball purposes uh there's actually a sign when you when you go into the supreme court that is like uh, going up the stairs to that or up the elevator to that that says playing basketball and weightlifting are prohibited while the court is in session the court was put in in 1935 uh when the building was known when the building was being created it actually opened in 1935 but the court was finalized in 1940 um, and it was used as a makeshift tennis court um, for security guards, cafeteria workers, clerks, librarians, occasional justices. Uh, and they'd go up there and they would play pickup games. And they would invite people from the federal government to come down to play in the court. And it's been kind of quirkily known as the highest court in the land. It's been kind <laughs> of oh. being the highest court in the land. Um, and realistically, there's been all kinds of stories about Supreme Court justices who are currently in place uh, and others who were clerks or who were or have worked their way through other parts of the federal government who have played on this court um, and it, and shown their athletic prowess to it. So I found it really interesting because I, I, I wanted to pose the question. Obviously, we've had some presidents that really have enjoyed sports, Barack Obama being one of the biggest that have loved basketball. I would love to know the amount of games that were, who have played on this court. And then, um, like, some of the cool stories that were behind it. You know, uh, unfortunately, the court surface before it was a hard wood was more of like a cement-type surface. So you actually had a lot of injuries early on. And there are some Supreme Court justices that had their pictures taken with their injuries from the basketball courts. Broken legs, pulled Achilles. Uh, All right, I have a question, McKay. I have so many Here's my question. My that. question is, how much time did it take you to sit down and make up all of that baloney? 
I, I don't know. You guys got to check it out. Because that can't know. be true. None of that can Why be true. Why did basketball trump, like, tennis? Like, right. who decided that, oh, we're going to redo it. It so, has to be basketball. Why not shuffleboard? It seems a lot safer. And, and kind of pick and an age appropriate, Kim. Yeah. Okay, I don't think. In those gowns, you know. I can't believe they spent safety. money in the middle of the depression to build a basketball. Oh, I can believe that. The money part. That I can believe. No, yeah. No, I'm I just wondering, like, is this how the Supreme Court makes decisions now? They're like, all right, quarter's in recess, and everyone runs upstairs, and they have a basketball <laughs> game about They're it. Like, they play uh, a game Justice, I- Justice Jordan, what's your opinion on this matter? <laughs> So you guys joke, right? So a couple things, right? They had wooden backboards until until 1984 when they went to plexiglass backboards, the more of the backboards that you have today. More stuff he made up. Um, that was put, they were, they were permanently put in as part of it. And the reason why they did that was because they wanted to give people time to blow off steam, the stress from being in the Supreme Court, the stress from writing opinions. They were and just breaking all those wooden backboards? Like, like, slam dunking them? Yeah, they wanted to have, they wanted to have a release of energy. And they actually have tournaments every year with people who work within the Supreme Court, and they have different groupings of uh, within those tournaments to be able to during times when. Supreme if this Court was true, it would be televised. There's no way. Yeah. Oh, they don't have TV Mr. in the McKay, court. I have right a question. Well, yeah. I've been racking my brain to come up with something punnily appropriate. And <laughs> what do you think is the net result? of incorporating the court above the court. Oh, <laughs> All right. I think that's a good place to move on. <laughs> it's a good joke, though. Uh, Mr. McKay, I think that foul. if you made up those facts, it's impressive. But, you know, you're a pretty impressive uh, facts finder uh, and maker-upper and all that stuff. I look so forward I, I'm to not sure back from the kids, yeah. All right, let's know. just cross over and move on to something else. I want a picture of Ruth Bader Ginsburg dunking. That's all right, we got two. Someone we got, pa- uh, someone passed to, we got to three more. I think we got three more to go. I'm up next, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm... Be mind Kelly, take it a take a shot at it. All right, thanks. <laughs> do what you can do, Mr. Kelly. So, as many people might know, in uh, during World War II, the United States government uh, instituted uh, something called the Manhattan Project to try to create what became known as the atomic bomb, nuclear bombs. And um, you know, I, I one would hope that in the modern era, uh, nuclear bombs are very much. Um, stewarded safely they're not you know prone to accidents and they're responsible people in charge of them they seem pretty safe overall well i mean i think that um you know they've only uh um been used in wartime during world war ii and never been used afterwards the united states government tested them frequently in the 50s and 60s uh, but then they stopped testing them but did you know that in 1961 a a b b-52 bomber was flying over Greensboro, North Carolina, North Carolina in the United States of America. And the U.S. Army decided that they needed to uh, practice while this B-52 had two fully armed hydrogen bombs in its cargo bay. They decided that they needed to do a mid-air refueling of the bomber. Uh, One of the wings during the mid-air refueling it um, sprung a leak, so they stopped uh, refueling. The, the plane ended up having to descend, and the pilots lost control. All of the uh, bombers, bombardiers, um, escaped from the aircraft. They jumped out of an aircraft over U- United States territory that had two active nuclear bombs in it, and they all jumped out and parachuted to safety, and two nuclear bombs were dropped on North Carolina. The bombs did not detonate. 
No. They came very, very close to detonating, and the U.S. Army had Well, to because go. they had all that fuel all over them. They, there were, I mean, listen. <laughs> if you're parachuting, how safely can you right. really be away from a plane with two bombs on it who's going to explode? I'm just just saying, for argument's sake, also, these, if these are hydrogen bombs, this makes like uh, the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs look like a fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this was one of, uh, one of the examples of when the United States, one of, let me be clear, one of the examples of when the United States accidentally dropped nuclear bombs on American territory. I, I know this isn't we true. We should be accidentally bombing. I don't believe this. Yeah, there, were two, <laughs> there were two and neither of them detonated? They did not detonate. What were they, like, what was the thing of having live bombs on Well, the they're not, I mean, they were, they didn't detonate because they weren't supposed to detonate. There were, you know, there's a couple of steps that they would have had to put into place for them to detonate. But after the fact, they researched, they, they learned that one of them, they were actually very lucky. One of them almost did detonate. Um, despite the safeguards. How do you almost detonate? I mean, look, I'm not a, a, I'm not a nuclear scientist. Um, well, especially if you're making it all up. Kelly, can you explain yeah. the detonation process? Uh, I can't explain the detonation process. Um, Why didn't they detonate? So, <laughs> listen, I'm a history teacher. I'm not a physicist. Well, good, because this is not true. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, we got two more to go. We got two more to go. I'm being mindful of the clock. Um, but, uh, we do have two more to go here. So I think Miss Moulton and then Mr. DeCosmo is going to wrap things up at the end. Is, am I right about that? I think I'll so. Okay. Uh, Miss Moulton. All right. So I'm taking us back to, um, 1865. So if those of you are hearing this and you're thinking about reconstruction, um, we're right around that time period. Um, this is taking place during Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. Um, he had... Andrew Johnson as his new vice president. Um, Andrew Johnson had replaced, I think the guy's name was Hannibal Hamlin. Um, if I'm making this yeah, up. Yeah, right. Um, so <laughs> Andrew Johnson had become the new vice president-elect and, you know, he had to be at President Lincoln's speech, um, his inaugural address. And unfortunately for Andrew Johnson, uh, President Lincoln and everyone else that was there, um, Andrew Johnson may have been a little tipsy. So he had been a little sick, uh, you know, He'd been a little sick leading up to this. Um, they weren't even sure he was going to be able to get out of bed. The doctors offered him a little whiskey or two glasses of whiskey. And when he, went, um, when he stood up to give his speech, it was um, a little questionable. Um, there were, it's kind of considered a cringeworthy speech. His words were rambling. Um, the President Abraham Lincoln was so embarrassed and had like made comments about it. And a senator from Michigan was even quoted as saying, I was never so mortified in my life. Had I been able to find a hole, I would have dropped through it out of sight. What's the deal with presidents named Andrew going wild at parties in the White House? I mean, it's true. Mm -hmm. They really do love to party unless... Miss Moulton is making this up. Yeah, I find it hard to believe a vice president Andrew can Jackson. give his inaugural address while inebriated. I find that just hard to believe. That's Andrew Jackson, not Andrew Johnson. Yeah, I think this is Andrew Jackson. She's trying yeah. to trick us. Yeah. And why didn't Lincoln just wrestle him to the ground? <laughs> I was also thinking that. <laughs> Break his fingers right. and he couldn't hold the speech. You're like, oh, all right. <laughs> all right, well, yeah. All right, well, we'll see if that's true, Miss Moulton. And I think that we, Mr. DeCosmo started us off with an epic uh historical fact about uh wrestling i think you had one more quick uh quick historical fact well, to share with us thought the wrestling one was long get ready well 
Well, we have six minutes. Yeah. I'm ready to do it. All right. So uh, a lot of our stories were they're focused on seems like stuff that happened in the 17 or 1800s ish. Not the nuclear bomb one, but that's okay. Or the or the basketball court. Yeah. yeah. Pay attention. Can we let the Cosmo speak, please? Uh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to go 1950s, 1960s with you and tell you a little bit about Cuba. Uh, Cuba had a revolution. They turned communist, which to the United States is a big, big no-no. The United States has invested tons and tons of money in their infrastructure and uh, like entertainment biz. Castro sided with the, the communists, the, the Soviet Union, USSR, and turned communists. So for the first time in history, the United States had a communist nation right off the coast. So it super freaked everybody out. You can read about Bay of Pigs. You can read about the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is ostensibly the quickest we've ever come to nuclear war. Not nuclear usage because of- That's why people were Helen so afraid of Helen Keller. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, so Castro is, is like- Public enemy number one, I would say, to the United States government at the time, him and Khrushchev. But uh, so Fidel Castro, leader of Cuba, like on the United States list. So the CIA was still relatively new. I, someone uh, correct me or fact check me on that. I know the CIA wasn't around for all of you. Oh, we got a lot of fact checking to do today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> so the CIA, uh, Central Intelligence Agency, the United States is technically not supposed to target uh, individual people for assassination, but sometimes it happens. So the CIA was always trying to figure out ways to kill Fidel Castro, and they brainstormed a session, and there were a bunch of ways that they tried to do it, and they all failed. Uh, you might have heard of Cuban cigars. Fidel Castro had a pension for Cuban cigars. He's always smoking them. So the CIA was thinking about putting like a, an explosive device in his Cuban cigar, which would only remind me of like Elmer Fudd when his... <laughs> <laughs> His, uh, shotgun blows up when he's trying to like shoot Roger, uh, not Roger Rabbit, Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. Like, so they're trying to explode his cigars. There was one time he liked milkshakes. There was a, the United, the U.S. A milkshake or a frap? Very big difference. Ooh. I don't know. It's, it's a frap thicker. Cuba, it's a milkshake. Frap, a frap has ice cream. A milkshake does not. Did they bring all the boys to the yard? What? <laughs> <laughs> Cash was, milkshakes do. He thought his milkshakes were better than everyone else's. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm hoping frap, uh, just because mm -hmm. I, I, I was unaware of that distinction. So let's call it a frap. So okay. he enjoys a nice frap, as I'm sure most of us do. And then they had the CIA snuck a waiter on the inside. And he's like, waiter, let me get a frap. And then the waiter uh, had some cyanide pills in the freezer. And he went to get the cyanide pills out of the freezer. But the, they had like stuck to the bottom of the freezer. So when he picked them up, they ripped open in the poison spilled so the waiter like freaked out and got out of there and they also um went after one of castro's lady friends and they're like hey you got to kill castro for us and she's like yeah i'll definitely do it and then the moment came where she's about to deal him like the death blow and then she broke broke down and got all mushy like oh fidel i could never do this the united states is trying to make me so every it seems like everything that they did uh was thwarted one way or another be it by by luck or otherwise but uh the craziest story the totally true story is that the CIA, Fidel Castro, uh, Cuba is an island nation. So obviously surrounded by water. I'm looking that up. I'm going to get a fact check on that. Are you sure it's an island? Fact check. Of everything I said today, I'm most sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> so he likes to swim in that nice warm water and he's an avid swimmer. So the CIA, in, in my opinion, their most ridiculous way to try to, to get him. Um, you know that dolphins are highly intelligent. 
The mm-hmm. CIA worked for over a year to train a pack of dolphins to specifically attack bearded men. You better stay out of the water, Mr. Cosmo. Yeah, watch out. A lot, so lot of so beards close in to the US, They can just uh, lead an expedition off the coast of Florida, and they let a bunch of attack dolphins try to get at Fidel Castro. I like that. I like that sounds like fact to me. I mean, I like it, but wouldn't it be dangerous for all bearded men? And beards are kind of popular. Like, what if they listen? If you got to go through a few else? unfortunates to get to the the main guy. I don't know. That's a hard one to believe. I'm not sure. I kind of want to believe but they, it. They do, do train dolphins to, to get, go down and find bombs. and. Yeah, highly trainable. They're very trainable. If a dolphin can find a bomb, it can ram its nose into a, a Cuban dictator's ribs, right? Yeah. Knock the wind out of them. Yeah. Drag them out to the deep prayer, water. He get, drowns. I like that. Hmm. Wow. Well... That was a good last story, DeCosmo. Thank you yeah. for that. I think that's all, Mr. Kellett. That's all. All right. That's all of it. Well, I guess we'll leave it up to our students. Yeah, you want to give them the determine. assignment? <laughs> well, it's going to be up to each teacher what they do with it, but part of it may revolve for some of the teachers, if they choose to, around figuring out what we just said, uh, whether it was true or not true. Yes, I wanted to say that it's, a, I love doing this podcast, so it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite things that we do. And B, it was nice to see you all and work with you all on this. This might be our longest one. We just went forever. Yes, some, and some I look forward to hearing some <laughs> feedback from the students. So definitely tune in, uh, like, subscribe. What do you say, Mr. K? Mr. McKay? Like, subscribe, retweet, repost. <laughs> all right. All it. it was all right, everybody. you guys. Good. See Thank you, you for listening. Hit us up on SoundCloud, too. <laughs> Spotify, baby. <laughs> Spotify. <laughs>